and we started off with the covenant of redemption, but then we get into creation and start talking about the covenant of works. And then immediately, uh, right when the fall happens, covenant of grace comes in. And we're talking about all these uh, covenant of grace administrations. And a lot of our conversation about these covenants were already going on before Israel was a nation. Welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition, delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Real quick before we begin this episode, listen to the end for updates on our Santa Ana Reformed Church Plant efforts and our upcoming Bible study on the Book of Judges. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, where we bridge the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. And today is a Season 3 Promises and Fulfillments episode. We are going to be on Episode 23 but it is based off of chapter 24, Israel and the Nations in God's Covenants, and it's written by O. Palmer Robertson. The reason why we flip-flop this before I go on a little bit more is uh, we are going to have Dr. Benjamin Glad on talking about the previous chapter, which is going to be recorded after we do this episode. So just a little flip-flop for you guys, but uh, we're still staying on track with these chapters and episodes. So uh, with this book that we're covering, it's the Covenant Theology book. It's published by Crossway. It's written by Reformed Theological Seminary faculty. And there is a link in our show notes to Crossway, so you can pick up a copy of this book as we are going through it. There's also a few other links that are good to check out. There's one for the Society of Reformed Podcasters. We are on the in this group of other like-minded podcasts out there that are reformed in doctrine, and you will probably enjoy their shows as well. There's also a link to find a Reformed Church near you, a local church finder. So just type in your zip code, you can find a church. And so we will jump into this episode with Peter and myself unpacking O. Palmer Robertson's chapter on Israel and the nations in God's covenants. Yeah, so excited to, to do this. And yeah, just like, just like Nick said, so the story behind why we're doing um, episode or chapter 24 as episode 23, as you guys saw about a year ago, um, around this time, so maybe actually a year ago, around Thanksgiving, um, Dr. Glad's house burned down. And so he is just now getting back into his house. They fully renovated it, but it's happening around this time, right when recording it. So um, he asked to push our interview on chapter 23 to two or three weeks from now. So it's jumbling our schedule <coughs> a little bit. So Still, this is still chapter 24, but we're recording as a 23rd episode because we have to push back the 23rd chapter 
later on. So you guys will hear that one later on. So even if it's a little bit confusing, just know we're not missing chapter 23. We had yeah. to do it for some external stuff with Dr. Glad. So hopefully if I still confuse you guys anymore, it's still coming. It's still, it's still later on, but this one's on, um, this one's on <coughs> chapter 24 on uh, Dr. Ole Palmer Robertson. So if you, if you know um, Meredith Klein, if you know a couple other of these like covenant theologians, they're, they're relatively um, within the same time frame. So Palmer Robertson's got a book, Christ at the Covenants. He's also got a, a couple other books on covenant theology um, that are well worth their time. So it's not just this, uh, this single chapter. But uh, what's great about this chapter is he kind of goes through covenant history, redemptive history, and he traces them. And he talks about how these covenants weren't just made with Israel. And so that tends to be, tends to be, again, I'm generalizing a little bit, tends to be the dispensational argument. Is up until the new covenant with Christ and <clears throat> prophesied with Jeremiah, um, the covenants previously were exclusively made with Israel. And then they expanded to be Israel and the nations with Jesus which is why Palmer Robertson wrote this chapter. And it's actually based off a previous chapter um, that was written well before this book was, was edited. Um, so that's, that's why this chapter is necessary. It's he's, he's dealing with those who say, no, these covenants were made exclusively with Israel, which we'll get more specific as we kind of get into the meat of this chapter. So, so hopefully that, that, that helps situate, um, a lot of these chapters, you guys may be wondering, like, well, why do we have to talk about this thing? And just like last week with um, Second Temple Judaism and justification, that's that's kind of the setting the groundwork for for why this chapter is so necessary in our talk of covenants. Yeah, no, or it, well, it kind of works out for us on even uh, publishing these chapters, uh, these episodes slightly out of order. Is it's not crucial that this one had to be. Uh, right before the exactly, previous yeah. chapter. So yep. it, it, it's worth it to a little edit on our end uh, to, uh, and maybe a slight confusion on you guys then just so we could have Dr. Glad on the show is well worth it. So yep. um, that's totally cool. And then I think as far as um, how to kind of best frame our mind on this chapter is I actually would like to start from the back in a way, hmm. not not completely go backwards, but just go to the conclusion, flip to 524. And this is actually uh, old Palmer Robertson's reasoning of kind of the title of the chapter. And he says, intentionally, the title chosen for this chapter is Israel and the nations in God's covenants, rather than Jew and Gentile in God's covenants. Yep. The, the terms Jew and Gentile simply do not manifest adequately the enlargement of God's grace in his covenants. So that kind of already gives you a sneak peek. There are some terms that he really digs into um, the difference between saying uh, Jew and uh, Israel and Jew and Judean, yeah. Judean and Gentile and nations. And so you've all, we've all heard these uh, names and groups of people, and he just clarifies how we can distinguish and know that, um, that really we, we could all be part of God, God's people. And, um, and, uh, and like you were saying earlier, even 
in a covenantal terms and ideas and understanding, he makes a great point starting with pre-Israelite uh, patriarch covenantal fathers, you know, going to Adam and Noah and Abraham, all three of those people are not Israelites. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that was a good point. <clears throat> I think it's, it's, um, it's kind of easy to see the old, te- and this, this is going to sound maybe a little bit weird. It's kind of easy to see the old Testament through the end of the old Testament where the Jews or the Jude- <coughs> Judeans actually, they're in exile. So they're in exile after they've broken the law very consistently. And you see that in the prophets and Dr. Robertson goes through um, why they're in exile, but it's easy to see all of this kind of later stuff and forget before Abraham, nobody's a Judean. Nobody is right. Jew by ethnicity. Nobody is, is called out of this. And um, it's a really helpful discussion because there's no words really for Jew in the Old Testament or for Jew in the New Testament. Um, and whether or not you see Shem and, and some of this, um, there's a word for Hebrew in Old Testament, New Testament, which is roughly the same thing as saying a Jew, but that's way less often than you see Judean. And that's unfortunately, as Dr. Robertson talks about, it's unfortunately translated way too often as Jew. And we associate that with with the ethnicity of Jew versus what he calls, and I think it's a great term, is like the post-exile by grace Judean. Um, And he goes through that, which which is great to know because Adam... Noah and Abraham are not Jewish by ethnicity, as far as we know. Um, they're from relatively they're like a similar region, but in terms of, of Jewish ethnicity, they're not called out of the Jews, especially with Abraham. Where does Abraham come from? He comes from the land of Ur, and Joshua 24 2 talks about who's in the land of Ur, and the ones who are land of Ur are explicitly labeled as pagan worshipers, which that's not the Jewish people. That's, that is the quote unquote Gentiles, which like Dr. Robertson says, the Gentiles again is all too often, unfortunately translated as Gentiles versus just nations. Those who are not from the Judean region. Yeah. And if you guys have listened to any of our season, you would understand that covenants are there from the beginning and we started off with the covenant of redemption, but then we get into creation and start talking about the covenant of works. And then immediately, uh, right when the fall happens, covenant of grace comes in. And we're talking about all these uh, covenant of grace administrations. And a lot of our conversation about these covenants were already going on before Israel was a nation. Yeah. And, and, uh, this is in no way, shape, or form saying that we are against Israel having covenants or anything like that. So don't even think that we're going down that path. It, it's it's just lining up how God's redemptive story, the background, the story behind the story, right? His covenant yeah. of his redemptive purposes is in the background of him telling history. And um you know, the start of creation was well before the nation of Israel. And, um, but he had, you know, Abraham being the father of Israel, 
and then and then he starts going into Moses and all that stuff. But you can start seeing some light bulbs, at least some light bulbs going off in my head, thinking, you know, these covenants and him calling all people to him were happening, you know, before he put Israel on the map. And then, of course, Israel was his chosen people. But we can see that even more. All it does, it's not it's not restricted just the boundaries of Israel as a nation. And I don't think it ever was meant to be. Um, yeah, but that's and that's yeah, that's true, because even even when people say Israel is a chosen nation, well, technically, technically, as Dr. Robinson says, Robertson says, that's technically not true. It's the sign of circumcision was the thing that labeled you as a part of this people group, as part of this ones who are called by by God's name, by Yahweh's name. Um, and they were Judean, and that was because they were from this area of Judah, um, this, this Persian area of Judah. And then later on, they're this exiled people who are still called Judeans, but they don't live in Judah. They're not from, like, they don't live in this Judean area. The Sumerians or the Syrians have taken them over. The Syrians have taken them over, especially as you look towards um, Ezra, Nehemiah, uh, you have this people group and um, you have this people group who's been displaced from their area. Their temple has been destroyed and they're still called Judeans. And I liked how Dr. Robertson made this, uh, made this connection between they're not called Judeans because they live in this area. They're called Judeans because the, the Lord made a covenant with them as Judeans because the Judean people were marked off by circumcision they're marked off by the Passover meal. So they, they held these, these signs of the covenant because of what they believed God was still going to do for them, which is why Dr. Robinson makes the case. <clears throat> that's, that's how the nations, not just Gentiles, but the nations can be included in this covenant. And I think, too, what he's also trying to, to, to mitigate or to like, try to fight back against is what's called replacement theology. He doesn't talk about it in this, this chapter, but as you reflect on this chapter... Um, kind of the number one thing, and, and Nick, you alluded to this earlier, the number one thing that Reformed theology, especially covenant theology, is quote-unquote accused of is replacing Israel. They say, oh, right. the church has replaced Israel, therefore we're against Israel, we're against the promises of Israel. And I think even though Dr. Robertson doesn't explicitly name it, as you start seeing these themes, you say, no, this has actually been true from the very, very, very beginning. Is As Paul says in Romans 9, not all Israel is Israel. There's this core Israel because they have been marked out not by ethnicity, not by race, not by demographics or socio-political leanings or anything like that. They were marked out by circumcision and the Passover, which is still, quote unquote, the same thing that we're marked out today by baptism and the Lord's Supper. Mm -hmm. And he mentions Judeans. Uh, the term is actually from saying survivors of the exile. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah from the Hebrew term. Um, yeah, you, you die us. And the same thing from, from Greek it was relatively similar sounding. Um, yeah. So they were, they were, they were pre-exile. A lot of these writings are pre-exile. So you can see Judah um, pre-exile, a lot of the writings, so the historical books um, and the Pentateuch being written before their exile in 587. And they're called Judeans and they're still called Judeans in the exilic books. So Jeremiah, Ezekiel, um, Isaiah, well, that one's technically pre-exile, but it's written post-exile. Uh, and then you get all the prophets. So you get Micah, you got Amos, 
you get uh, Habakkuk, you get all these these um, exilic prophets who still call the people Judeans, which is what they were called pre-exile. So it's even by the term itself, like you said, is a sign of God's grace. And Dr. Robertson is at pains to say the term is still used, and especially in the New Testament, the term is still used even after they're displaced from this area because of the covenant God made with them. As far as Israel as a nation, God, it's, it's pretty clear through scripture, God sets apart Israel from the world to show how his laws are commanded, how to do certain sacrifices, how to, um, how to, uh, to worship God, um, mm-hmm. to show the world how to be God's people. And that's not to say people outside Israel can't be God's people. Yeah, absolutely. Even during, even during the time of God having a covenant with the nation of Israel, it's not to say people outside of the uh, state of Israel could not be uh, part of that. It's just saying God chose for his sovereign purposes to create this nation of Israel to show the world and set them apart to, to how to do things. Yeah, and like, like you said, it's, it's not even that we can say that it's not like God doesn't care about the other nations um, as opposed to Israel. We actually get stories in scripture, in the Old Testament especially, where people come from outside of Israel and are grafted in. And the big one I think everybody knows about, um, and she's, she's, or there's three of them that Dr. Robertson talks about in the chapter, um, specifically, and they're women too, uh, that, are, that are included in the genealogies. You get, uh, you get Rahab, which is the big one in Joshua 2. Where does Rahab come from? Is she an Israelite? Is she a Judean? No, she's a Canaanite. She comes from outside. They go same into with Canaan. Wait, same with Ruth. Yeah, same with Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite. And so you get these people who are from outside of Israel who accept the sign of the covenants. Rahab accepts it in Joshua 6, um, Joshua 6.20. If you guys know what happens in Joshua 6, it's a famous story. It's the walls of Jericho coming falling down. That's Joshua 6. That's where Rahab accepts the covenant sign. And she's introduced in Joshua 2. And so you see, and with, uh, with Ruth, from Ruth 1 to 4, she talks to Boaz, who Boaz is some sort of Israelite redeemer, which doesn't mean the redeemer in the sense that we think of, but it's actually lined out in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. What a redeemer does, it's part of your, it's part of your kinsman. It's part of your, it's part of your people group who can come and purchase you out of kind of, this nothingness or barrenness and say, Hey, I will, I will be your redeemer in the sense that I will, I will take over your family line. Um, and then we get these two and we get another one as well. We get them involved in our genealogies, um, both in Chronicles and we get them involved in Matthew and we get them involved in Luke. And so you can see, even though God has set out Israel, he is still engrafting people into this people group. So it's not just Israel. It's, People who are marked as Israel is marked by the covenant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of think of it as like Israel is like a beacon of light in the world. Mm-hmm. And people are to look at Israel and be like, that's the way to do it. Now, that's not to say every single Israelite, every single Judean was doing the right things individually. Yep. Um, but uh, he's, he set that nation apart. And so we, we love Israel as reformed yeah. Christians, as Christians, you, you that's, part what, you know that's part of our history. part of our history. You know what? You, as you're describing Israel, you know what it sounds a lot like today? Oh, no. I don't even want to hear you say it. 
Sounds like the church. Oh, I thought you were going to say something else. Yeah, <laughs> no, it, it is. No, yeah. no, you're, you're right. You know, we, we like are... you said, not everybody in the church is of the church and the church grasps people in by these covenant signs. And so as we see in Israel, as we see all throughout yep. the Old Testament, is everybody who is born into Israel, are they true, quote unquote, Israelites where they stay in the faith? No. The Israel in the Old Testament is mixed. Both of those who have everybody has this covenant sign, but they're mixed. So some of those who have this covenant sign have this promise attached to them. They fall away. So they're not true believers. And then there are those who are part of Israel who have this covenant sign who continue in the faith because they've been justified by the blood of Christ that obviously comes later, but it's applied to them because of the covenant redemption, the covenant of grace, the same exact thing. And I love how you put it. It's the same exact thing that we see in the church, which is why again, Dr. Robertson is making, is at pains to talk about again. He doesn't name replacement theology because he's not saying the church takes over Israel. It's like the church was freaking Israel in the old Testament. And it just, it doesn't change in the new Testament the Lord just fully exposes what Israel was in the New Testament. Yeah, we are brothers and sisters in Christ with uh, Old Testament Israelites that had hope in the coming Messiah. You yep. know, we, we are part of the same church. Um, yep. And so, yeah, and that, that actually is a good segue into why we make a, uh, such a good argument for uh, baptism. Uh-huh. Because, because to be an Israelite, to be part of that Israelite community, um, to call yourself a Jew, you had to be circumcised to to follow the line of Abraham. Yeah. And now we see that entrance into uh, the covenantal community, taking the repla- the replacement of circumcision as um, uh, Gentiles uh, and uh, everyone around the world uh, through baptism. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you put it out. And so top of page 506, that first paragraph, exactly what you're saying. So I, I highlighted this, these, I think it's what, two sentences. He says of the 10 instances of the application of the covenantal seal of baptism in the new covenant. So we're thinking both new covenant, old Testament and new covenant, new Testament Two involve cases of single men. So Ethiopian eunuch and Paul, of the remaining eight instances of new covenant baptisms, six of the eight include or imply the inclusion of succeeding generations. Then he goes on to further say, at the same time, it should be recognized the blessings of the covenant do not auto- uh, automatically flow to the next generation. For life in the covenant threatens curses as well as offering blessings. Each new generation must claim for itself the promises of the covenant. And so he's taking that same uh, circumcision language from the Old Testament and saying we even see in the New Testament when the sign of baptism is applied to somebody, they, in two instances, apply it to a single person that we can tell that's explicitly labeled a single human being, a single male, Ethiopian eunuch, and the other guy. But then the other instances we have, it says to the house of somebody. And so the the general understanding we have of that, if it's the house of somebody versus saying the single person, it seems like the author Paul or Luke and Acts is at pains to say, I once said Ethiopian eunuch in, um, in Acts chapter eight. Now I'm telling you it's the house of this person. So you can see a difference. 
that when somebody else comes in, engrafted into the church, he and his family are engrafted, not just a single person, mm-hmm. which is the same thing we see the sign given to Abraham in Genesis 12. Yep. Sign given to Abraham in Genesis 15. Same exact language we see in both. Doesn't mean um, that kind of the caricature, and I think Dr. Dr. Robinson talks about this, doesn't mean, like he said, that it automatically implies, the sign of baptism automatically implies that those succeeding generations are going to believe. It's because we have the promise that the entrance into this covenant community gives them full access of membership, of worship, of everything. They're considered as members until they prove us otherwise. Same thing happened in the Old Testament. It's because the same promise is given in both Testaments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just as you are a citizen of Israel in the Old Testament, under circumcision, I don't know, like somehow documented you are an actual citizen of Oh yeah, we have have censuses, we have numbers, The first couple of chapters of numbers, they're military census, but it would give us full housing numbers of various tribes. It's say 50 something thousand come from the tribe of this. And the likely is it's either all able male, but they're really high numbers. They're probably, um, they're probably the full families, if not the family units. And so we can still see like they, they care about accounting for each and every person who's part of these tribes. Yeah. So with baptism, you get that citizen card, citizenship card that <laughs> we right, are yeah. yep. that we are in, in a part of the church. Yep. And so yeah, and so yeah, he talks about that a lot, which I think is is great to see that that's where the ingrafting of the nations comes in. Even the Old Testament, we see that with the sign of these covenantal blessings. Mm-hmm. So under the genealogies of in God's covenants, I thought that was a really cool section, uh, just tracing uh, Adam to Christ. And then he talks about in Luke, um, he traces uh, Abraham back to uh, Christ. And then through uh, Matthew, Mm -hmm. uh, gospel Matthew, he, he actually includes three women. Yep. In his yeah. genealogy. Yeah, the ones we just talked about. Tamar, who's a Canaanite. Rahab, who's in, um, who, or Tamar is earlier in Genesis. Rahab, we have in Joshua 2. And Ruth, we have in the book of Ruth. And she's a Moabite. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the, so I think you, you're getting the feeling that not to downplay the Judeans at all. Yeah. Absolutely no disrespect to Israelites and Judeans. Um, it, it's saying that outside uh, the, the, the non-Israelites definitely still have a place in God's covenantal heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that's all he's trying to say. So it's, it's instead of saying that we are saying that Gentiles are more important than Israelites, he's saying, no, 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 no. we're equal. Yeah. We're equal in standing. Um, and he's looking at more of like who belongs to my covenantal community. Yep. Um, yeah. And, and that's, and who even even with that too, even the call them Israelites is technically technically wrong because not Correct. all Judeans were Israelites. There right. are not all those in this covenant community who are Israelites because there are some who apostatized, who fell away from the faith, and they were excommunicated. Because um, at this time, you have to remember those who are listening. We have to remember during this administration of the law yeah. with these people, the church was the state. And so if you were out of the church, you were out of the states. It was a, it was a theocracy in the truest sense where the laws of this state were the laws of the church. And so if you were 
if you apostatize from the faith, if you fell away from the faith, at the very same instance, you fell away from this nation as well. So you were kicked out of the nation. And so um, very truly, not all those who were in Judah were Judeans because there were those who were outside who apostatized from the faith. Yeah. And uh, he talked about the uh, northern tribes of Israel. Yep. How they actually uh, were lost into the nations. They they went out and we there's still like the lost 10 tribes of Israel. Yep. And and there's some theories of where they went. And there's one of the theories he mentioned that I thought was the most interesting is they went up to the British islands. Yeah. And that's where the term British comes from. But that's completely not. Um, yeah. He was kind validated. of joking. Yeah. 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 But I think um, the point is, is that southern tribe of Judah is yep. uh, still held on uh, to. And and because the prophecy is that Jesus comes from that tribe. Yep. as well yep. and he talks so that's a good segue into um noah and the nations because he did a really good job tracing noah to the tribe of judah yep. and how that the line because noah had a few sons and that there's only one of his sons uh that was pointed to uh be the descendant of jesus through the tribe of judah and um and that, that son who started uh, the Shemite, mm-hmm. right? And yep. so Shem. Abraham, Abraham Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Yeah. So Shem was kind of like the one that he followed that line to. And uh, Abraham is a descendant of Shem. Yep. Yeah. And that's, that's where some people say, well, Abraham was an Israelite. I was like, well, no, because Abraham had a son who then led towards the line of Judah. Because the tribe of Judah isn't distinguished until later on after after Abraham. It's not established before Abraham. And Noah, we know, and Noah's Ark, that as Dr. If you guys listen to Dr. Van Pelt um, beautifully summarized the, the Noahic covenants, this little boat, which prefigures the temple that we see or the tabernacle that we see in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, um, we see this prefigured in a way. We see this kind of in seed form with Noah's Ark and passing through these waters. And so through Noah's line comes this line that eventually gives us um, the tribe of Judah. And then from the tribe of Judah, we get Christ in the new Testament. Mm -hmm. And he also is saying uh, just because you're not in the tribe of uh, the, the, from the line of the Shemites, right. Mm -hmm. From, from Shem doesn't mean that you can't, uh, you know, include yourself into that yeah. community because you could be born as a Canaanite. Yep. Um, and we see that in multiple occasions. Yeah. Rahab and uh, in with Ruth <clears throat> as a Mobite, uh, you see them uh, recognizing with their hearts, what God's true covenantal community is. And they, they voluntarily move into that community. So yeah. And I, th- I think God finds with, the person's uh, Melchizedek. Heart. Melchizedek yeah. in, in Genesis 14, where he comes from outside of Abraham's line, but somehow, some way he knows about the Lord, you know, because he, he calls out Yahweh and he talks about Abraham and Yahweh. So there's some theory. And then in Hebrews 7, Melchizedek is referenced and mm-hmm. talking about the um, Christ as the Melchizedekian priest. 
And so there's there's some thought also that Melchizedek in Genesis 14, who comes from outside of Abraham's lineage, is also in some sense grafted in because of the other references we get in Psalm 110 and then in Hebrews 7. Yeah, so he picks he picks a covenantal community like the Shemites, and we also talked about uh, the Judean community. As and then Israel as a nation, like he's he's picking out a covenantal community to set apart, so the rest of the the people outside mm-hmm. can look in and they can choose to be a part of that community. They're oh, not yeah. they're not completely cut off. Yep. Yeah, the covenant sign is available for anybody. Yeah. So that moves into um, Abraham. Mm-hmm. So Abraham, the father of Israel, clearly Abraham was the father of Israel. So then he asks, was Abraham a Jew? Yep. <laughs> and then he answers um, it at the bottom of that page. He says, for clearly Abraham did not begin life as a Jew. And said Abraham, along with his father, Terah, served other gods on the other side of the Euphrates River. And that's when he references Joshua 24, too. Mm-hmm. So he became, um, he became a Jew by hearing the call of God mm-hmm. and then response in faith. Yep. And then um, there was a lot of people from Ur where he was. A lot, yep. But not all of them either were called, responded to the call. For whatever mm-hmm. reason, God's sovereign purposes, he picked Abraham. Mm-hmm. And um, and then uh, he he was the, called to be the, the, the head of the nation of israel yep yeah head of judah and then right after that (coughs) uh on on page 509 he talks about the designation jew right in the middle of it is actually a translator's gloss for judean this is kind of the the language we were talking about the term rendered jew in the english bible is both hebrew yehuda uh and greek yeah uh is always judean and so he goes through these four little, these, these markers for what, what, what marks out a Judean descendant of Judah, inhabitant of the territory assigned to the tribe of Judah, also a person from the Persian province of Judah, and a person identified with the community of Israel. So notice what he's not saying, a, Judah, a Judean is an Israelite, because an Israelite is not somebody who's just from the region, but somebody who is born within that within that ethnicity somebody who's born within that nation versus a judean can be somebody who's in that area who receives the sign of being from that area yeah so yeah it's it's based on ethnic distinctions uh geographical where they're actually living um yeah and like what you said top of 510 the um second set or the third sentence of the first paragraph from the perspective of the history of God's working redemption among humanity, or Judean, the term we just talked about, is a survival of Israel's exile, a trophy of God's grace. So above all else, that's what a Judean is. So in a very real sense, in a true sense, those who are listening to this podcast who are Christians, who confess the name of Jesus Christ, and you and me, we're Judeans. We're trophies of God's grace. Mm-hmm. See? Yeah, we're all part of the same the same family mm-hmm. going uh, before Jesus was uh, 
came, you know, came to earth, you know, mm -hmm. we're, we're still part of the same church. Yep. So, uh, I think, I think he keeps going on in that chapter and yep. he talks about, uh, the Northern tribe. Yep. And then he talks about, uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther mm -hmm. as the post-exilic books that deserve further consideration mm -hmm. with, with these terms. Yep. Yeah. Cause they're still called Judeans in these books, but if they're called Judeans and like, he just talked about those four markers of the, of this um, reference. Um, he's not talking about people who currently live in this Persian province. He's talking about people who are under exile of another people who are marked by another people. And so even them, even calling them Judeans is still harking back to them being called as God's people. Right. And here's a great example with has to do with Mordecai. So he says, Oh yeah. The initial introduction of Mordecai in the book of Esther supports this perspective. Mordecai is described as a Judean, a mm -hmm. Benjamite. So it's in Esther 2.5. But how could, how could Mordecai be both identified as belonging to the tribe of Benjamin and also be denoted as a Judean? He could be identified as both only because Judean had come to mean something other than a member of the tribe of Judah. From the perspective of redemptive history, a Judean was a survivor, survivor of Judah's exile. Yep. So he was a Benjamite, but he's also a Judean. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, and he has multiple other examples of other yeah. people um, who are marked by these terms, but aren't from the area of Judea or are marked by, the covenantal markers of those who are within the, the confines of Judea or Judah. Yeah. And he mentions a couple times, uh, a term that's really cool. It's, it's not race, it's faith. Mm -hmm. So, so again, um, I think you've probably heard, if you've listened to our show a lot, you know that we love diversity and we understand God's kingdom is diverse. Mm -hmm. So, and you'll have just so, listened to the book club from when this comes out, it'll be last Thursday, but with Dr. Jarvis Williams on redemptive kingdom diversity, he traces out this mm -hmm. theme of a biblical theology of people. And so if you guys want kind of more information or more help and understanding kind of multicultural, multi-ethnic multi nature of the church, not just in New Testament times, but in Old Testament times, where I think most people think, well, that's the least diverse the church has ever been dr williams makes a case no it's actually always been diverse so you guys want to yeah. have a little quick primer last thursday's episode um is super good oh yeah there's a there's a uh explanation of the passage from acts in here that yep. i think was fantastic with him describing uh how god's uh Covenantal community is diverse. Gosh, where is it? What page? Do you remember? Uh, I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking through right now because he talks about the Gentile versus kind of nations designation on five fourteen. Kind of another another one of those instances of like an unfortunate rendering and a lot of English translations. I mean, overall, we're not we're not like disparaging English translations. We're not saying they're terrible and throw them away and learn Greek and Hebrew. Although it'd be amazing if you guys learn. 
Greek and Hebrew. But since you guys mostly know English, when you usually see Gentile, they're almost always, if not exclusively, translating um, the, the Greek ethnos or the Hebrew goy or goyim. They're translating that by either Gentile or translated by, by nations. And Dr. Robertson makes a strong case if we're going to translate Judea, uh, Yehuda, the Hebrew for Judean or Judah, um, a people group from this area, not Israelites or Jews in general, we should also translate these two terms for nations as nations and not just Gentiles, because Gentiles is just making a, um, a, a distinction from um, Jewish people when it seems like the Bible is more saying not just Judah, but all the nations. So it's not trying to set up an antithesis between one people group and another people group or saying, well, like he says here, Jew and non-Jew, um, kind of the, the bottom of page 514, um, that second paragraph, he's, he's saying those marked out by the covenantal signs of circumcision and the Lord's Supper and those not marked out by the covenantal signs of circumcision and the Lord's Supper. So that's, that's, he talks about that a little bit, which I thought was a, is a helpful discussion on both terms. Yeah, and I like how he points out Galatians 3.8, where Paul says the scripture having been, having foreseen that by faith God justifies the nations, preached the gospel in advance to Abraham. Yep. They shall be in blessed in you all the nations. Yep. Yeah. So we see when in Genesis 12, that promise is given to Abraham, what Paul is doing in Genesis, or not Genesis, in Galatians 3.8 is that he's at... He's interpreting that promise to Abraham for us. He's saying, you know, that promise that was given to Paul or given to Abraham in Genesis 12. I'm telling you, that was a gospel. That was the gospel of Jesus Christ given to Abraham, say, not just for this people group, for all people groups, because what's promised to Abraham, I will multiply your seed as the sand of the seashores. Sure doesn't sound like one race. It sounds like a multiplicity of races and tribes and tongues and people's languages as we get in language of Revelation. Yeah. Yeah. And then so um, kind of closing out that part of uh, Abraham, he goes into saying. Oh, I found your act stuff. It's on page 516. Oh, there's a bunch of quotes in a row. Or there's Matthew, Luke, and then a bunch from Acts. Oh, I see. Acts 4, Acts 10, Acts 22, Romans 15. Yeah. Well, and I think we uh, proved the point where I was going to get at on that. And then he, he closes out that section on Abraham saying, bring all nations into the bond of the covenant by applying to them the initiary, the initiary seal of the new covenant, just as it was indicated that they could appropriately receive the covenantal seal of the old covenant. So yep. he's talking about um, baptism. In yeah. the new covenant. Yep. So going into the Mosaic covenant, this one's really important um, because people are going to hear this and be like, okay, I could see how the other covenant administrations are for all people, but the Mosaic yeah. one's got to be for just totally Israel, right? Yep. And, yep. But he makes the case, you know, saying in uh, if any covenant in scripture might be read as including only Israelites, the bond of God at Sinai would appear to be that kind of covenant, right? You know, 
So Moses led the descendants of Jacob out of Egypt. So you're thinking this has got to be the one that's only for Israel. Yep. But what is the relation of the Mosaic covenant to the Abrahamic covenant? He asks connection exists between the Abrahamic and Mosaic covenants. So I think without going into the weeds too much, it, there is a, a sign of still blessing all the nations. And then yeah. you can maybe go, go into more depth on that. Yeah, but. he he says it at the bottom of that page, the bottom of page 518, um, towards the end. It says, by being circumcised and professing the God of Israel, any non-Israelite from any other nation of the world could share in the highest privilege of the covenant nation, which was the Passover meal. And then he, uh, he, uh, he quotes a Jewish commentator, says, every stranger who submits to circumcision receives Abraham as his father and becomes an Israelite, or you can also call it a Judean. Circumcision turned a, ma a man of foreign origin into an Israelite. And he quotes again that same thing, Exodus 12, verse 48. And he ends, so peoples from all nations are welcomed participants in the Mosaic Covenants. And so you think even the most quote unquote Judean or Jewish specified or sounds like specified covenant and all of scripture actually has provisions specifically in it for those who are not from this area. So and it's not just the new covenant. It's the old covenant that has these provisions. That's ah, amazing. So, and then he says, second, the Mosaic covenant did not end with God death of Moses, Joshua claimed the covenantal promise of the land under the auspicious yeah. of God's promise to Moses, just as I promised to Moses, uh, he says in Joshua 1.3. So like he's saying he's going to carry forward um, this to Joshua to, to carry mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. And um, so there, there was also... Third, he says the prophets of Israel regularly included the nations in the promises of the Mosaic Covenant. Yeah, and that's and that's because I think again, kind of the the, the general evangelical understanding of the prophets. So we're thinking uh, those from Hosea to Malachi, Habakkuk, um, all of these people who I think we generally think kind of in, in broad evangelical circles, they're just pointing towards the future. And that's about it. They're just pointing towards his deliver to come, which in a sense they are. They are doing that. But like Dr. Robertson talks about, um, and as many other theologians talk about, the, the prophets, their main job is actually prosecuting the law. And you have to think, well, what law are they prosecuting? What, what, what are they trying to uphold Israel's standard to? And that's the Mosaic Covenants. And so they're prosecuting the Mosaic Covenants then they're taking the same covenantal law that's given to the nation of Israel, but also engrafts other nations and says, all of these people are coming in. Joel 2 and 3, which is quoted in Acts, where my spirit shall come upon everybody, male and female shall prophesy my name. You guys see this fulfilled the right after Pentecost. So Pentecost being right in the beginning of Acts 2. And this verse is quoted by Peter. Um, right in the middle of Acts 2, saying, hey, what's happening at Pentecost with the Spirit coming down? I'm telling you right now, it's fulfilling the prophet Joel's words where the Spirit comes down. And the prophet Joel, as most of these prophets, he's not prophesying good stuff about the nation of Israel. So you guys all flunked the Mosaic Covenant. You guys are not keeping the covenantal signs. You guys are not keeping the covenantal regulations. 
But then that obviously leads us to Jesus, who does keep the covenantal regulations and then involves everybody into the covenants of grace because he's already fulfilled the covenant obligations that we have flunked under the Mosaic covenants. And that can save all the nations, tribes, tongues, peoples, and, 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 uh, and tongues that's talked about in Revelation. And they can come in, they can come streaming into this covenant because the Mosaic made provisions for this. So it's already written in the covenant code. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, the Ten Commandments uh, and, and uh, the moral aspect of the Mosaic law still apply to all the nations. Yeah, no, and it's and that's it gets it gets a bad or kind of a weird and too focused reputation for being just for the nation of Israel, but if you see like we've been talking about that it's applied once the sign of circumcision and once the uh, once the Passover, once you are engrafted into this covenant community, it applies to you, but it also applies to others because the prophets prosecute the nations not specifically on the Ten Commandments or the revealed law. They'll do it much more on the moral law, which it comprises the Ten Commandments, doesn't name them out specifically, but says you have not done justice. You have not done my people right. You have you have you have unfairly prosecuted them, persecuted them in many ways. And I am prosecuting you not under the revealed law that's been given to Israel, but under the, the law of the heart. And Paul does the same thing in Romans one. He's saying even if you don't know the law, even if you've never been exposed to the law, you are still under the obligations of law because it's been revealed to everybody's heart. Mm-hmm. So it's been written on our hearts, just like it was written. It was told, but it's also written on Adam's heart in mm-hmm. Genesis 2, that you yeah. should eat the fruit, fruit of this tree. A bunch of other things are within this, and he knows what he's supposed to do, and he fails. Um, he doesn't have the written law, but it's written on his heart. Yeah, and it doesn't... I'm glad you mentioned Adam. I was like, going to mention that too, because no matter where you live on this planet, when you've lived, uh, you are a descendant of Adam and you are made in the image of God and you have the law of God written on your heart. Mm -hmm. And that really kind of reflects the 10 commandments. Um, it's instinctively in us to know that certain things are really evil and bad. I yeah, mean, against yeah, against God's law. If you guys are wondering, well, why can you say that? I'm so far away from Adam. How can I be? Uh, how can I be held responsible for Adam's guilt and Adam's sin? Then we would point you to Romans five. Romans five talks about through the sin of one person came the transgression that was applied to all people, mm-hmm. but through the grace uh, of the one, the one who f- perfectly fulfilled the law, is given to the many who believe upon him. And so, because we see a covenant made with Adam. This covenant includes all those who are made with Adam. We're yep. under what's called his covenantal headship. He was our representative. And in his sin, as Romans 5 talks about, we have sinned as well because of this covenant that implies both of us. Because if you don't have Adam as the one who is shown your covenantal sin, then you can't have Christ who shows your covenantal righteousness. Because mm-hmm. you, if you want to say like, oh, no, I wasn't Adam, but I want to be in Christ. You ha- if you're in one covenant, you're in both. And if you're yeah. in neither in covenant, you're in neither one of those. So you're in Adam, which means that you're also in Christ or that Christ's covenantal um, fellowship is available to you as well, which, which is why I think this chapter is, is so, it's so, it's so good because it, it shows even from the very beginning of the Old Testament, these covenantal blessings were available for everybody. 
mm-hmm. not just a specific tribe, a specific people or, or nation. So how do we uh, not blend Moses and Abraham too much together? Because they are two different people. Yeah. At, Moses is not Abraham, but how do we, uh, I mean, we can't also say that they're totally two different uh, we can't get into dispensationalism either and, and yeah. clump them to not connected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're both administrations under the covenant of grace. Correct. So, but how do we still keep, keep a distinction but not separate them too much? Yeah, and if you guys are wondering um, why Nick is asking this question, it's because, and, and again, we're, we're, like we want to we ha- we have a, a seasoning of grace and whatever we say with some of these people. Um, but we, we do have some, or at least I, I have some disagreement with how old Palmer Robertson reads the Mosaic covenants. So he sees a little bit, in my opinion, too much continuity with Abraham and the covenant of grace. But what Nick is saying is also 100% true because both are administrations of the covenant of grace. That's different than saying they're both covenants of grace. If, if that distinction makes sense. So Abraham is a unilateral covenant of grace. And Dr. Robinson talks about this a little bit later on within the Mosaic Covenants. The Mosaic Covenant, while being under the covenant of grace, has a works element attached to it. And this works element, as, as, as Nick said, it was that Ten Commandments. And the Sixth Commandments, the one with honor your father and your mother, what is that one attached to? If you look at its covenantal stipulations, it's attached to, and you will live long in the land. What does that mean? Why is that attached to right in the middle of the Ten Commandments? It's because while being under this covenant of grace, while being under Abraham's covenant, there is what's called this obedience that they had to have in this land, to stay in this land, which doesn't mean if they get taken out of this land, they're taken out of the covenant of grace. Those are two different things. You can be kicked out of the land, but still be in the covenant of grace. But you can also be in the covenant of grace and be in the land, which that's what that's all about what Joshua is about. So Joshua, they're given the land and then judges, which I've preached through before, they're told to subdue the land and make it a a presence for Yahweh, which they again don't do. And it leads you to kings in uh, first and second Samuel and first and second kings. Then the people wonder, well, the kings might do it for us. The kings still don't do it for them. So they're still looking for it. So that's that's why we say. We see distinction in the Mosaic and the Abrahamic covenant in terms of um, what is within this covenant of grace. We're not saying the covenant of grace is has the covenant of works, but the Abrahamic covenant we see as a covenant of grace it is given. These are promises. We can't lose these promises if we're in this covenant with Abraham and in <clears throat> Moses. We can be in the covenant of grace because Moses still comes under the covenant of grace, but it has a works elements where we can stay in this land or the is or those in Israel could stay in this land through obedience. But when they disobeyed, they're still in the covenant of grace, but they're kicked out of the land. And so it's meant to point them to there is a land coming that you can't get kicked out of because you will be fully and totally glorified, no longer able to disobey his commandments. The covenant of grace will be the only thing that you're under um, so that's, that's where, and if you guys are wondering, well, how does that differ from Dr. Robertson? There's a couple quotes within these, and I, I won't go through, um, all of them. And just, there's a general flavor of, um, potentially more continuity 
between these two covenants than we would like to see or that we think scripture represents. And if you guys have a little bit of hard time wondering, go to Dr. Clark's episode on the covenant with Moses or the, the Mosaic covenant. And he describes what we're talking about really well. And so it's about an hour and 10 long um, conversation, but he describes what we see from the covenant of Mo- or covenant made with Moses or under Moses and how that's distinguished between the Abrahamic covenants. Mm-hmm. And so while we might disagree a little bit within these two things of how to distinguish, we don't say they're different or disassociated as tends to be the case in dispensationalism where they're two completely different covenants They're both under the same covenant of grace, but the mosaic has an element of works attached to it. And if you want more information on that, I would highly advise you to go listen to Dr. Clark's on the mosaic. So sorry for the long explanation, um, but it tends to be misrepresented um, when we talk about covenant of works in the mosaic. But but that's what we mean. Well, and also going the other direction from where you're saying where you can uh, break the covenant and... Uh, be kicked out and still have grace yep. you go back to adam he disobeyed in the garden got kicked out of the garden was not allowed back in the garden yep yep the cherubim the cherubim would not let him back in the garden and there's still covenant of grace to adam exactly yeah yeah that's that's a really good point there's a small picture of later on <coughs> israel's disobedience being kicked out of the the land being kicked out of the this holy temple area just like Adam, like you said, was kicked out of the, this temple area in the Garden of Eden. Um, and you guys uh, haven't heard about this, but maybe a small little plug. This is precisely what we're talking to Dr. Beal and Dr. Kim about in December. So it's a little bit of a teaser. Um, this little concept right here, this like kicking out of the land, staying in the land, this temple language is Dr. Beal's forte. That's what he's known for, as he wrote... One of the one of the best books I have ever read, which is Temple and the and the Mission of God. We're doing another book with him. God dwells with us, or do, God dwells among us. Um, we're doing that in December, and so a little bit of a plug for well, it's going to be a ridiculously fantastic episode coming soon, kind of on on, on this topic too. Sure, yeah. Um, I know we got a little bit more ground to cover. It's been a longer episode, so I'll jump right into just saying how he closes out the last little tiny paragraph of the Mosaic covenant part says, so when God calls people from various nations of the world to be his people, he is fulfilling the prophecy of Hosea that God will transform, not my people into the people of the living God. As a consequence, the nations, including Israel participate in God's covenant made with Moses as proclaimed by the prophets Mm -hmm. that closes the Mosaic part. So jumping into Davidic, uh all god's covenants have conditions and promises at the same time the various covenants of redemption have the absolute certainty that all the conditions will be met and so there is he kind of throws around a little bit of understanding yeah um, and this is this is a little bit where you start seeing some of his understanding of abraham and moses yeah um and he's he sees a little bit of a conditional element in abraham yeah which we would disagree with a little bit. So if you guys are reading this, yeah. you're kind of wondering like, oh, where, where are you coming from about this? Um, he may not mean it how we're describing it, but it's how it comes across. Conditional. Yeah, he makes it obedience and conditional. Because yeah. the thing is, like what, well, when we did our Davidic covenant episode, we actually would see conditional and unconditional elements in the Davidic covenant. We see the unconditional 
that the line is going to is going to succeed no, no matter what. Um, the conditional is the obedience of the king is um, whether or not he stays on the throne. But the Lord promises the throne will last forever and the throne will be occupied by my son. It just depends on, will the kings further on, will they obey? So the unconditional element is the king or the throne will last forever. The conditional is who's going to be on it. It's almost, yeah, it's even though it's called Davidic, it could mean it means David on the throne forever. Yeah. Like, or, or his descendants. Yep. And it just starts with David. Um, but it, it's really pointing towards Christ. He's yeah, absolutely. On the, the, he's the true bigger David on the throne forever. But he, even if David, as a human being, he's going to die at some point. Even if he was the perfect yep. earthly king, he would die of old age at yep. some point. Yeah. Um, Which is the conditional so, element of it. Yeah. So, um, so if yeah. you guys were a little bit confused about the section, I was like, why is he talking about Abraham as conditional and his blamelessness and co- like confirmation? Yeah, we, we would take a slightly different nuanced stance on this stuff, but depending on what Robertson means by some of these by this, some of these markers and language, we might disagree with them or we might more agree with them. But we don't see a conditional element to anything of Abraham's promise. We see usually it's Genesis 17 and 22 that are that are attached to each other, or Genesis 15 and 22. Where um, we talked about this before, where what does it mean for Abraham to be declared righteous in 15? And then look like he's being tested in 22, where hopefully we we flesh it out really well last episode, where what looks like a conditional element in Abraham, where he's declared righteous and he has to prove his righteousness in Genesis 22. We don't say prove, he confirms his righteousness. He shows forth his righteousness mm-hmm. in 22. So that's why we can still say it's, it's an unconditional bilateral, which means, or not bilateral, unilateral, made with one person, one side, uh, uh, um, covenant. So if, again, if you guys were like, oh, I'm not really sure what Robertson's mean, we saw the same language. And so we want to be sure that like, we're, we're specific with what we say and what we think he's saying too. Yeah. Um, anything else to say about Davidic? He closes it out just talking about how the prophets and the psalmist are delighted oh. in celebrating the worldwide character of the Davidic uh, Messiah's, Messiah's rule over all the nations. Yeah, and what I liked about it too is it's I mean, cool enough. I'm I'm in Psalms of Wisdom right now uh, in school. So we're going through the Psalter. Literally, I mean, I just got a I I had this class this morning on the on the Psalter. And the Psalter is so shaped by the kingship. Um, there's five books of the Psalter, and each and every single one of them ends with a hope for a soon-to-be uh, Davidic king. And so this covenantal language given in 2 Samuel 7 with David, even though it doesn't say covenant, throughout the Psalms, it's laced that it was a covenant made with David. And there's this promise through and through the Psalms. There's laments that talk about, well, the king was taken off the throne. Where's your promise now, God? And then a couple of Psalms later, it says, oh, this is your promise. Your promise is that one is coming who will take up this throne. So that tends to be the language that's kind of repeated over and over in this altar. And then and a lot of the, uh, the prophets, so Zechariah, Zechariah 9. Um, Zechariah 9 is referenced, is alluded to in John 12. And yeah. John 12 is the triumphal entry of Jesus on a cult. And it takes this exact same language from here. It also adds Psalm 118. And Psalm 118 is, uh, is a, a kind of an exodus psalm. 
and it talks about so Zechariah adding this king language, and it's the midst of this covenant because covenant comes in um, Zechariah nine eleven, I think it's the verse after the one he quotes on five twenty one. Uh, he also adds Psalm one eighteen. So all that to say, like this this stuff can get me incredibly excited because there's so much kingship, there's so much covenantal language um, that the Davidic covenants also invited all nations. Um, it had this it had this element of the mosaic because the davidic kingship was under the mosaic law and mm-hmm. if you're under the mosaic law then you still have stipulations for those who are outside of israel outside of judah to be engrafted in yeah and all these covenantal heads these these individuals just remember they all point towards christ who is the the perfect version of those people so yeah, yeah. they uh, all point towards have- the perfect yep don't, I mean, kind of not kidding, but not really kidding. If you ever hear a sermon that says, be like David, be a bigger David. I know you guys are probably laughing. Like you've heard that. <laughs> You're not David. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, well, actually, like, actually you are David. We are David. Yeah, we, we are. Be David. We are in the worst senses. Like all when he, 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 when he bought into his temptations and did the bad things, like, we can relate to him on that level, but we can't relate to him on the level where he killed Goliath. Okay. No, no. Yeah. Or, <laughs> or yeah, that's in a sense, like you are David because we are the ones who are immoral, who are sinful, who yeah. don't measure up to the covenants, but we're not like David in the sense that David pointed to a coming King who would exactly. come in and take care of our sins and would be the true King that David could ever be. We're, we're like him in all the worst ways. Exactly. And Christ not is not like him in all the best ways. <laughs> yeah. Christ is him in the most perfect ways. Exactly. Yep. Um, but what I was saying too, is Israel for a long time was crying out for a King and they were looking forward to David. They didn't know yeah. him by name at that point, but uh, that was pointing towards everyone pointing towards uh a messiah the coming messiah mm-hmm. and so just as israel was crying out for a king and prematurely forced a king which was saul which was man's choice of a king yep um we see that story play out and that's just like how we are awaiting and crying out for our, our the king of all the nations not just israel the yeah. universe to yeah. come back and that's that's a good segue to the to the last part. And his conclusion's a paragraph long, so we we can kind of mold this into the conclusion. But that's when he goes into his yeah. last like two or so pages, yeah, like last page and a half on the new covenants. And so with all of this backgrounds of of these Old Testament covenants pointing towards the covenant to come, but also being administrations of precisely the same covenant that's to come, we can truly say with the new covenant that's talked about in Jeremiah thirty one. Also in the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, with their um, people have to take the circumcision uh, to be part of the church, or not to be a part of the church. People have to take circumcision, and then all the laws within kind of the the Judaistic kind of regulations. um, Can we truly see that all the nations are represented in in the new covenant? We can say yes because it's an outgrowth of the old covenant. Mm. Um, And even at the bottom of page 523 right before the end of this chapter uh i, I basically i did i pulled a nick and i basically highlighted everything in the bottom half of this page because i thought it was <laughs> i thought it was fantastic i i started coloring in the i started coloring my coloring book um, 
So under on the bottom, under the Abrahamic covenant, any individual from any nation in the world could participate fully in the covenantal sacrament of circumcision. So there you get language from the old, old covenants or the covenant of grace in the Old Testament. As has been previously noted, circumcision turned a person of foreign, read national, outside of Judah origin into an Israelite. That's a huge distinction or a huge um, a point to make right there. Circumcision turned a person of foreign origin into an Israelite. And then he goes into, so now with baptism, replacing circumcision as a sacrament of entrance into the new covenant, Colossians 2, 11 to 12, the resurrected Christ commands, make disciples of all nations, the ethne, baptizing them. The congregation of Corinth, which has many problems originally largely from its multinational character, again, more evidence of the multinationality under the covenants in the New Testament, Old Testament, all members of the church, except those under discipline, are expected to participate in Lord's Supper, the covenantal sacraments of continuing the covenant. Mm-hmm. And, and remember, uh, Judean is survivors of the exile. Yep. And we can relate. We as Christians are survivors of exile here on earth. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're both survivors of, and we are in exile. Mm-hmm. We're in because exile right now on we're, earth. We're waiting for the land to come. That's talked about in Hebrews 4, because Hebrews 4 talks about Abraham explicitly and says the land that was promised to Abraham, Abraham knows this is the land to come. And we're still waiting for that same land that Abraham waited, uh, waited for. We have, we have that same longing in our heart for an awaited promised land that they had. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, hopefully, hopefully this, uh, this opened up the chapter for you a little bit. You saw the, the multinational, multi-ethnic, multi-people group, multi-tongue nature of the yep. covenants. And it gives you hope for the church. And it's not just a new covenant thing or New Testament thing or just an Acts thing. It's an entire Bible thing. It's yeah. the covenant of grace administered in multiple ways throughout the uh, Old Testament and the New Testament, promised to us, guaranteed to us in the covenant of redemption. Yeah. And it's it's focused on Israel, but not limited to Israel. Obviously. Exactly. Yeah. So, And the reason why it's focused on Israel is there's, there's definite signs to this inclusion, but it's not relegated to a single nation. It's given to this nation but it's available for all nations. And we see the truest outgrowth of that same problem. It's not a different movement, but the outgrowth of this movement in today's church. Cool. Nice. Well, that's a good way to wrap it up. Heck yeah. So yeah, hopefully you guys enjoyed this again. It's a little bit weird. We went a little bit out of order. You'll still hear Dr. Glad's episode. That'll come out a little bit later. So I'm looking at our calendar right now. So Dr. Glad's episode will come out December 13th. Uh, So his will technically be episode 26. Even though it's chapter 23, Dr. Glad's episode will be chapter or will be episode 26. And then this one, even though it's technically chapter 24, is episode 23. So I might have thoroughly confused you guys even more. But know that we still have Dr. Glad coming up. We just have to work with this schedule a little bit more. Yeah, don't be sad. Be Ben Glad. Okay? <laughs> there we go. Exactly. So yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and stay tuned 
next week we have a we have a special guest coming on next week that we didn't announce on my little uh, my little calendar that I sent out. If you if, if we uh, if you want to say it or I can say it, who's our, who's our special guest for dispensationalism? Oh, I don't want to steal your thunder. I mean, <laughs> we can we can make the crowd anticipate who are no. Who let's our let's is. do let's do anticipation. I think we dropped the ball a few times on going on Twitter, introducing that person and asking some audience questions to bring on the show. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. What do you think? Does uh does uh Doctor, I don't want to say his name because then I'm gonna spoil it. Let's let let's let's see how long we can keep people in anticipation. Well, I can say I can say this: he's written a lot on two kingdoms, and his last name sounds like two names. <laughs> so if you guys can figure it out, maybe we'll make it. I like doing this game every week because we have people posting. Um, people running with water bottles this week mm-hmm. after we asked for it in the episode. So yeah, let's let's see if people can start posting up pictures of this individual. Who's your guess? Who's coming on? Who lo- sounds like they have two names and has written a lot about two kingdoms? He he's a uh, he he's a uh, he's coming on for dispensationalism. So and another big hint, another big hint. We've had him on the show before. We have. Yeah, we had him on season two. Yeah, we can't so, drop any more hints because they're gonna put tune put so all these twos put two and two together and... <laughs> exactly. But if you guys know and you guys are paying attention to the very end of this episode, this long episode, start <coughs> posting up pictures and tag where he's a professor at, um, mm. and then yeah, we'll see, we'll see, uh, we'll see what you guys want to ask him because we'll have him on pretty soon. But yeah, once once you once you guys hear this, post it up, but. Yeah, next week we have dispensationalism with this individual on who's written a lot about two kingdoms and has two names. Too cool. <laughs> All right, we'll see you guys next week. Right. Are you looking for reform church in the Orange County, Santa Ana area? We'll be starting our study through the book of Judges as well as diving into Reverend Danny Hyde's Welcome to Reform Church beginning weekly on December 2nd, which is a Thursday at 6.30 p.m. at 4th Street Market in downtown Santa Ana. If you'd like updates and information on joining our core group, email us at SantaAnnaReformed at gmail.com or head to either GuiltGracePod or SantaAnnaURC on Twitter or find the link in the show notes to learn more. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed that episode of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And we, as we've said before, we are bridging the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. So we would like to make sure this is enjoyed by others around the world. And how to best do that is rate and review us on iTunes. Yeah, and you after you rate a review or instead of rate and review or doing everything all at once, retweeting us on Twitter, liking us on Twitter, liking us on Instagram, following us on both of those platforms, because that actually puts in front of people's physical face, this podcast, these guests, and most importantly, the gospel, the doctrines uh, that these guests are bringing in front of you guys. So please do that. It helps get in front of more people. Amen. And hopefully you guys are part of a local church and you're tithing and, uh, after that, after tithing, if you have any means left over, please consider donating to us to make sure our bridge 
is well paved and maintained and strong and sturdy as again we bridge the gap to reform christian <laughs> theology exactly the yeah and you guys can find that link on anchor our official anchor website if you just go on um, our social media links it'll it'll link you to that website it's also at the bottom of these this podcast show notes if you're on this podcast this specific episode scroll all the way to the bottom of that show notes and you guys will find a link for this for three different options of donating so we hope you guys can help us bridge the gap pay for shipping get nicer stuff all for the focus of spreading the gospel further yep all for the kingdom of god thanks so much guys we'll see you guys next time